We're going to pick up here where we left off a while ago. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that the role of women in our church was once very egalitarian. Uh, we had women preachers, and we named them, and we gave you several pictures of them to show you who they were. A couple of examples will put this into context. If we have uh, the first slide, Barton W. Stone focused mainly on the heart and on changed lives as a sign of the restoration of primitive Christianity, whereas Alexander Campbell was more interested in the pattern of worship and of organization. Alexander Campbell was looking for the key in organization and pattern and worship pattern, whereas Barton W. Stone's key was the heart and changed lives. You got the difference? Both of them were pursuing unity, but they were coming from different places. Um, Campbell believed that Jesus laid out a pattern of worship and organization and that it mirrored the, uh, that in the tabernacle and the temple and that if we recovered that and redid it, then everybody would unite. And that's called head union and book union, if you remember by uh, Barton W. Stone. And he said it would never work, and it, it hasn't. We, our, our movement began to fracture as soon as we looked for that special pattern. Perhaps many of you have seen these. Uh, we used to pass them out. In fact, I've passed them out with elderships that I've worked with. The things over which churches have divided, churches of Christ have divided. And it is a long list. Uh, I've been in a church recently, well, it's been a couple of years now, where I visited and the elders and the church assured me, we will do anything to make sure our children stay faithful. And I, I just took that, put that aside, evidence to be used against them later. And as we talked about different issues that they had faced, uh, the elders said, well, we, some of our teenagers clapped after a baptism, and that bothered some of our older people who came to us and complained. And so we went to the youth and asked them just not to do that. And I said, well, congratulations. You have now made yourself a one-generation church uh, because your teens won't stay. Even if they don't want to clap, they've already learned they have no say here, that it's run by a board. That's never what elders are supposed to be. We can often think what we're doing is we're just trying to find a pattern and everybody will agree with us if we argue right. That's never happened. One of the patterns that Campbell found, however, and believed very strongly in, was the plurality of elders and deacons in every congregation. And those deacons, Campbell said, were to be female as well. The early Christians, quote, appointed female deacons, or deaconesses, that's a made-up word, by the way, to visit and wait upon the sisters. Of this sort was Phoebe of Sincrea, and other persons mentioned in the New Testament who labored in the gospel. Well, yes, and big assumption. Yes, they did have women that they did call ministers or servants, which is what the word deacon means, but we're not at all sure that's the kind that Phoebe was or that their job was just to, to work with the women. But in Victorian era and Georgian era, era and uh, churches of Christ, this is, this is why it was done. He said it was for reasons of appropriateness that male deacons were to serve men, female deacons were to serve women. In other words, he didn't assign females to serve females as a sign that they were inferior to males, but rather 
he was afraid they would fall into temptation. That a male serving a woman would fall into temptation. And I've seen it. I've seen it happen. Where you sent a strong male in to work with a woman whose husband was abusive, and there we go. They form an emotional attachment. Or a woman has gone to serve a man and teach a Bible class, and the man starts talking to her, and now she can help the man. And, and, and many women, there's this, i got to save somebody uh, mentality. Men have that too, but it's more of a hero complex. It's a bit different. With women, it's more of this, you know, if I do this, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be happier and healthier. And so he said, let's just make their duties different, but not inferior. By the way, that wasn't just Campbell's view. There were many congregations with female deacons by the 1840s. Even the most conservative voices. Out on the front here is Alexander Campbell, but also Talbert Fanning. Talbert Fanning was quite the conservative. He was pretty sure Jesus was a little liberal in a couple of points. However, um, that was a sarcasm. Actually, it was hyperbole. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, Talbert Fanning was the editor of the Gospel Advocate, and he wrote this. The sisters, beyond all question, were as legitimately deacons as the brethren. Now, that was 170 years ago. And one wonders what we learned so special that allowed us to stop the practice. But we will talk about that. He also, Talbert Fanning also mentioned Phoebe and reminded our movement's leaders that she was even sent from one congregation to another and that the Church of Rome was to receive her as a minister. Therefore, Talbert Fanning thought Alexander Campbell was being too restrictive in saying the women deacons were to serve women. He says this woman served a whole congregation by taking the Book of Romans to that church. Well, another powerful voice for women deacons was W.K. Pendleton, who was Campbell's son-in-law and his editor. And this, look at this quote. It is generally regarded among our brethren as an essential element in the restoration of the primitive order to ordain in every church both deacons and deaconesses. Let's go to the next slide. Or do we have another slide for that one? Do we have one? I've got to look here. No, we don't. All right, I'll, I'll, look. I'll do it here. Besides, and that was my fault, not theirs. Besides deacons, every church should have deaconesses whose duty it is to perform such offices as cannot be so well performed by deacons. Ladies, don't say, well, that's everything. <laughs> and especially such to females as could not with delicacy and propriety be laid upon the deacons. Uh, again, it was a matter of propriety, delicacy. Uh, it, was a, it was a matter of cultural tolerance. I've had people say, well, if Jesus loved women so much, and that just, first of all, that one just fries my circuits, because if, have you read the Gospels? There's not an if. But if he esteemed them so much, why did he only pick men to be his apostles? The same reason he didn't use a spaceship. He's in the first century. There's a limit to what you can do in the first century. He didn't say, when they said, what does the scripture say? He didn't say, well, let's pull out our iPads. Why? Because iPads are evil? No. It's first century. You work with what you've got in the first century. And there, traveling men, acceptable. Traveling women, not acceptable. So traveling women, if there were traveling men, acceptable. That's what he did. He went to the edges of what was acceptable for his time. 
Now, many of here, uh, did anybody here, when you were in, in uh, perhaps uh, one of our Christian colleges, have to read, get, get to read Robert Milligan's Scheme of Redemption? Remember that? Are you kidding me? They made us read that, and I was 3,000 miles away from you lot. We had to read the great words of the people from the New Jerusalem, Nashville. Um, <laughs> my goodness. No wonder you like these stories. Have you just not heard these stories? I thought with the sign out front, you had to have them all known before they let you come in. But all right. Robert Milligan's book, The Scheme of Redemption, still in print, still being used at Fried Hardeman and elsewhere, uh, except not this chapter. Uh, deaconesses were also appointed to attend to the need, of the, the wants of the sick and the needy, especially of their own sex. In other words, not entirely, but especially. Since the poor and needy will always remain, churches will always require the attention of both deacons and deaconesses just as much as they did in the churches of Jerusalem, St. Crea, Ephesus, and he goes on, the Phoebes, that's what he called them. The Phoebes should, therefore, constitute a part of the diaconoi, the deaconship, of every fully organized congregation. And these were in books that are still being used to train ministers, but they're being told not to pay attention to that part. I find that troubling in the extreme, but I know why. And we'll get to the why, probably not today one of the most conservative voices of our movement in the 1800s was Moses E. Lard. Perhaps with that last name, he'd had a hard life, but he wrote harshly. I had all of his writings at one point. I will confess I gave them away to a library because I didn't want to read them again. Um, I'd grown up with that kind of speech in my head, didn't want to continue it. Moses E. Lard. And at first, he opposed this strongly. But by 1870, getting closer to our time, he ceased. He wrote this, Phoebe was a deaconess in the official sense of that word, and we should have them in every church too. That was a very long paragraph I've just shrunk. When the necessities of the church are such as to demand it, the order of deaconesses should be reestablished. Why does he say reestablished? What happened between 1840 and 1870? Civil War. After the Civil War, a new voice of organization in churches came up, named Lipscomb, and that ended the deaconesses. That's a simple way of saying it. We're going to go through the history uh, and work on that, but that's why he says reestablished. They are often of as much importance to the church as the deacons, if not even more. And this was a voice that had been raised in opposition to them before the war. By the way, just... To be fair to Lipscomb, Lipscomb was a good man. Lipscomb had some bad ideas, but who doesn't? Lipscomb was a good man. However, Lipscomb was convinced that being a deacon or an elder was not an office of the church, but merely a description of the way that men are supposed to, and women are supposed to behave. So he was arguing off a whole different set of principles, uh, and we need to factor that in. Well, David Lipscomb and E.G. Sewell did not approve of appointing women as deacons, but again, they didn't approve of appointing men as elders either. They thought you were just an elder when you acted like one, and to be a deacon was everybody's job eventually. They believed that these officers were not supposed to be official. If you did the work of an elder, you're an elder. If you do the work of a deacon, you're the deacon. If you stop, you're not now. 
And by the way, yeah, both of them wrote, a woman could therefore be an elder by acting in that role of being shepherd. But they also added they thought it would be unwise in the current culture. And I bet that's the first time you've ever heard that Lipscomb and Sewell thought women could be shepherds in the church, but it just wasn't wise culturally at the time. Isn't it interesting what we forget? If you don't forget your history, or if you forget your history, it's not that you're doomed to repeat it. You're going to end up in a worse place. Let me give you an example. Your folk, well, I'll, I'll, let me back up a little bit. Last night, we got to go to Gary and Rebecca's place and have a great time and, and be immersed in a brand new culture to us of uh, eating by a creek. You know, that was fun. It was. It was, it was a hoot. We enjoyed it. But then I was told, well, she got her, her forefathers got this land and a, and a land grant. I went, all right, fair enough. And they said, for their service during the Revolutionary War. And I'm thinking, well, my people served in the Revolutionary War. <laughs> if I remember correctly, we ended up losing our land. Um, um, <laughs> but if I remember, uh, you lot shot us over um, a nearly 2% tax on your breakfast beverage. How's that working out for you? What was the tax on your breakfast beverage this morning? I'm not recommending you run to the streets with rifles. I'm just saying, if you forget why you did something, you end up in a worse place. This, the uh, removing women from certain places was done because of the cultural issues of the time and we went back and read it into scripture and that's called scholasticism it's a basic logical historical error watch out i'll start preaching churches in the 1800s were pretty much evenly divided on this churches of christ did not used to think they had to agree with each other some used instruments some did not some spoke in tongues yes they did some did not. Some believed in being slain by the Spirit. I was really, I didn't want anything bad to happen to anybody. But with the blood drive, people going in and out, I kept thinking, somebody's going to faint. And then I'm going to get written up for them being slain in the Spirit at 4th Avenue. <laughs> so I may as well take credit for it. But you guys insisted on eating your cookie and Sprite or whatever they gave you. They don't let me give blood because... My blood makes people talk funny. Um, every time I try, you know, they'll say, now what type of blood are you? And I'll say, oh, you know, my, you know, they'll say, what type are you? And I'll say, oh, my mom says I'm just a perfect type. And they'll think, oh, he's drunk, get him out. So I never, um, anyway. But we used to be evenly divided on this. Churches had, uh, some churches had women leaders, um, preachers, and deaconesses. To be very honest with you, I cannot find a church that had an official named woman elder. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't exist. It just means I haven't found one if they did exist. And please remember, in Lipscomb and Sewell's uh, teaching, they would have been elders every time they shepherded somebody, every time they counseled somebody. So we have to... This is not, not easy. It's not, it's, not, um, it's not digital. It's not on and off. It's analog. It just the dial keeps spinning back and forth. One reason this change was because of the Victorian attitudes that dominated the South. We've got a slide up for that one. Women uh, were to be domestic and submissive. The more so, the better. 
That was a Victorian idea. Strong taboos were placed on them everywhere outside the home. While women could be doctors and teachers in the North, that was very difficult in the South. And I'm not trying to be culturally insensitive here. It isn't difficult now. Things got better. But after 1870, before 1870, before the Civil War, there were a lot more women doctors in the South than there were after the war. Because so much was lost, they grabbed onto what they could grab onto, which is that Victorian sensibility and the decorum of the South. And a lot of that beauty, I still love it. And I know that when some people say, bless your heart, they don't mean it, but most of the time, you do. And I love the sirs and the thank yous, and you held on to that. Well, that is a remnant of a lot more you grabbed where all the women, uh, you had to have coming out parties, you had to have debutantes and cotillions and all this other. You didn't see that in the North. You grabbed onto what you could keep. I get that. I really do. That's why Scots still wear kilts and play bagpipes sometimes. It's, we don't do it all the time. But we, we grab it to hold on to what we had at one time. That's, that's fitting. It's all right. Even into the 1930s, there were voices among us, voices of very prominent, powerful church leaders, reminding us that we were failing our people because we had stopped appointing women deacons. Among them, T.B. Larimore and C.R. Nickel, two names that I would have expected you'd all know, but now that I know you've never read Scheme of Redemption, I'm, I'm worried about your education. <laughs> we were force-fed all this stuff. We read it all. Uh, I had all the Christian messengers. I had all of those. Um, he, they, they tried to pull us back to that biblical pattern. Nickel and Laramore saying, we have got, if we're going to be organized by Christian principles and biblical principles, we must have women deacons. Must. That was in the 1930s. But they were shouted down. Because one thing that Nickel and Laramore did not own, although they were considered two of the most prominent, powerful preachers of their day, they did not own a printing press. And the ones that owned the printing presses got to decide. They became editor bishops, bishops over many churches because of what they wrote. And they would condemn churches if they didn't agree with them. Churches began to shout, shut down women preachers and women deacons after the Civil War, but one was not going down without a fight. And I've, we've got another 10 minutes or so. So let's talk about Selena Holman. She was the wife of an elder of the church in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Yeehaw. I like, I like living in Tennessee. We have, um, if I don't mow my lawn quick enough, corn sprouts. And I'm going, we call that volunteer corn. That's just why this is the volunteer state. Uh, it, uh, we, we're, we're understanding how this works. Her name and debate became public in 1888. You see, a man wrote a column for the Gospel Advocate saying that a woman was to keep silent, and that meant she wasn't even supposed to teach the children in Sunday school. Of course, we didn't even ask him why he thought Sunday school was appropriate, <laughs> if you're reading Scripture that literally. Uh, Lipscomb responded that that was way too strict a reading. A woman could teach children, and even their husbands, he said, but only in a, quote, modest, deferential manner, not in an assuming authoritative way, end of quote. Ladies, before that offends you, you need to know something. That's the only kind of voice we hear. 
If we walk in and you go, that's all we hear. It's Charlie Brown's teacher. That's it. All we got to do is survive that moment and move on. But if you, if we walk in and you go, honey, could you know, this? Don't say, could we talk? Don't say, could we talk? Because that never ends up with, and here's a car. It, it's always bad. <laughs> but the the kinder you are to men, the more men hear. And you might not like it, but you know something? I don't like gravity anymore either. I used to like it, but now it's doing things to me. But gravity is there. Anyway, uh, Lipscomb went on to say she had to teach in private and never in a public mixed gathering, which was a, actually a contradiction because he just said he could teach, she could teach men in private. So he was conflicted. Well, Selena Holman saw that and wrote in and went over material. We went over here in a series of Sunday school lessons, Sunday school connection and, and sermons and like. She said if Paul had just said, keep silent and nothing else, Lipscomb would have a point. But Paul said much more. And she wrote in several lengthy articles which Lipscomb published. Give the man credit. He published every word of them. And so this is why I say, Although you may look at Lipscomb sometimes and turn your head like this, he was a good man. He's a decent man. Uh, moving on. He, she, she showed that women did teach publicly, including Priscilla, the women assembled with the men on Pentecost, Philip's four daughters, much more. We've gone over those. She agreed that the man is the head of the wife and should take the lead. But she disagreed that it followed, therefore, that a woman was removed from public roles and had been relegated solely to the home. She said that those women who had been gifted by God with the ability and drive to go into the world and teach the gospel should be allowed to do so. And in these arguments, in these letters that she wrote, and she was very respectful as well, she rejected that public-private divide that Lipscomb was trying to put in. She asked if she could teach a man in the privacy of her drawing room. Lipscomb said she could. She asked, could she teach two men? Yes. Ten men. It got quiet. He said, at what specific number does the private meeting become a public one? He had no answer for this, and instead he left scripture, admitting he did. He said, I'm arguing from culture. And how many of us have been taught it's scripture, that our tradition is scripture, when even these earliest writers did not look at that, keep silent, and interpret it the way that 95% of churches of Christ interpret it. We have become as traditional as the Catholics. And if you're Catholic, I don't mean to insult you by that. We have our traditions as well. Let me pull you aside privately and explain to you the phenomena of 728B at some time. <laughs> Lipscomb got upset when he realized he had no scripture and he went back to Victorian culture and myths about women and their inability to think right and free of emotion. By the way, that's why ladies, when they, they refer to refer, removing your uterus as a hysterectomy, because that same word was used as a root for hysteria. It was thought because you were a woman and had lady parts, you couldn't think straight. He, so he said this, the Holy Spirit as an effect telling women, I suffered you to take the lead once in the garden your strong emotional nature led you to violate God's word and to shipwreck a world. I cannot trust again 
and not again trust you to lead. He said that that's, wow, that's an assumption and a half, isn't it? It's a bit of a leap. He said God gave women heart power so that she could be a fit wife and mother, but that that very trait made her unfit for leadership in church and society. He said, quote, it blinds her to facts, shuts out reason, and leads her headlong where her emotions prompt her. End of quote. Selena strongly opposed this thinking, and he used her opposition saying this, she can no more see the plain teaching of scripture regarding woman's place than Mother Eve could see death and a goodly fruit that pleased her. In this way, Holman thoroughly vindicates her womanly nature. In other words, if she was smart, she'd agree with me because I'm a guy. Oh. <laughs> ah, that's a head-smacking moment. He said that's living proof why God forbids a woman to teach and lead in the church. Remember that Lipscomb and Sewell also wrote against the very idea of women being allowed to vote or women being allowed to work outside the home in any job. They felt that that was improper for women. Why? The Victorian culture of the day. By the way, that's still a remnant. When somebody talks about somebody being a professional woman, in some areas, you wonder, does that mean they have a profession? Or does that mean that they're a woman of the streets? And it still comes to that point. You never think that with a guy. He's a professional man. He a gigolo of some sort? No, no. You never think that. Victorian, and by the way, if, if I'm really bashing Victorian, it's, there's a lot of reasons. Scotland suffered under Victoria. Her concept of what was proper included hanging eight-year-olds for stealing bread. But she was the sweet queen that everybody wanted to emulate in America. And I, I, to this day, I don't understand that. But I don't understand why Americans are rooting for Arsenal and Liverpool and soccer. Anyway, um, I think you have teams here. I've seen them. Um, he says this. Sewell wrote that if women who sought the vote would break the bond of subjection divinely laid upon them and assert their independence, vote, hold office, electioneer, and if necessary, fight their way to the ballot box. Lipscomb wrote that women who entered the public sphere caused loose marriage, easy divorce, indisposition to bear children, and attendant social impurity. Well... It is whose voice is the loudest and who owns the printing press and who runs the school that trains the preachers that wins the day. And that's what won the day. Holman responded this way, the Bible nowhere intimates that the mind of a woman is inferior to that of a man, and it is the mind that makes the leader. This exchange went from 1888 to 1913. When she died, T.B. Larimore, one of our great preachers, preached her funeral and showed her great respect and honor, counseling those who disagreed with her to hold their own counsel and say nothing. By, he said, if you say nothing, you will prove you are wise. 
most of these Victorian ideas of womanhood came from the South, and it was in the South that the most conservative wing of the Restoration Movement, and we're going to wrap this up now, mainly lived, and so does today. Just under 70% of all churches of Christ in the U.S. are found in the states that seceded from the Union during the Civil War. 70%. We're not talking just South. We're talking the states that seceded. Our colleges are mainly found in those states, with the exception of York and Pepperdine. And when I was growing up, Pepperdine wasn't considered a Church of Christ school in our family. Others have been tried in Pennsylvania, Washington, Oregon, that failed. They're gone. Many others in the North went with the Disciples of Christ or the Christian churches. Starting next week, we're going to talk about how the Civil War split us and what cost we are still bearing for that and how we can correct it. Fair enough? I'm saying all of this to you with full knowledge that my great-grandsons, my great-granddaughters may very well one day stand in a building very much like today and talk about what Patrick got wrong. And I am so okay with that because all of creation did not culminate with our generation. The birth of every child proves that God is not done yet. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.